0: 14. And uh, last time we were together, we spent a couple of weeks there in verse 13, a fabulous verse. But Paul now ends the letter. So verse 13 was really the official ending of all the doctrinal teachings that Paul wants to do. Now starting in chapter 15, verse 14, he begins to end the letter with personal salutations, giving his own thoughts and feelings about them and what he has said and the way he has said it and uh, what he plans on doing in the future and hoping them to be a part of the work that God's doing through Paul and so in verse 14 now I myself am confident concerning you he just laid a lot of heavy doctrine a lot of probably life-changing teachings upon them and I'm confident concerning you and here a very intimate statement my brethren that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another, to teach one another. Remember back at the very beginning of the letter, very humbly, Paul said, I wanted to come to you, and when I come to you, I want to bear fruit to you and have you bear fruit to me. I know there's things in my life that you can cause me to grow in, which is pretty hard to imagine uh, causing Apostle Paul to grow but he was humble and he was willing, saying, hey, I know there's things you can share that would cause me to grow. And in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So Paul had never been to Rome, but he knew they were strong in the faith. Doctrinally, they weren't as strong as they needed to be. And this is why he wrote the letter, starting back with the ABCs and the fundamentals and saying, here's the gospel, here's how it works. And... uh course we've been through it all here and he's saying I'm confident now that uh, what you've heard you're going to be able to utilize and you're going to be able to teach one another admonish one another now when somebody is in true fellowship with the Lord there is this confidence there's some people that you hear about them and and maybe it's five years later or ten years later and the first question you have is are they still walking with the Lord And sometimes it's a yes and you're relieved. Wow. Sometimes it's a no and you go, I always wondered. Because they seem to have tasted but never really ate a full meal. They seem to have touched without ever grabbing on. They seem to have been in the church for a lot of reasons, but you always wondered if the reason they were really in the church was because they really loved the Lord and just wanted to worship Him and, and grow in Him, or if it because they found some neat friends in the church, or because they uh, rather get a wife from the church than a happy hour, you know, rather find a guy that doesn't smoke and drink, and, and a church is a good place for that. Um, there's a lot of reasons people come to church. Satan puts people in the church. The Bible says, like tares amongst the wheat, Uh, like the birds in the mustard seed plant. Satan himself dwells in the church and plants people in the church. And so not everybody you see do you have the same confidence of where they're going. There's some people that just have a tendency towards heresy. They always seem to grab on to these wild doctrines. Hebrews 4 says that's why we have the preaching of the word, so we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. But there's some people that just don't want to be solid in the doctrine. They're always wanting to grab onto something, and, and you work with them, and you help them, and and then one day they turn militant. I'm no longer going to let you correct my doctrine. I'm going to be the one who teaches. and And so then they come to church now with an attitude of, you know, I'm going to indoctrinate them with this new teaching nobody has ever known before. I've discovered it. You know, I got direct revelation. And it's this whole arrogant spirit. And the Bible tells us how to deal with those kind of people. But it's not everybody. Can You, you just have a confidence that they have a sincere walk. Jesus said that the seed goes out. The seed is a good seed. It first falls upon the roadside where the birds come and take it right away. And some people... Hear the Word of God, come to church for a few weeks or a month, but they they have no tendency of, of really repenting of their sins and turning to God as their Savior. There's some of those others where the seed falls upon the thin soil where they're willing to rejoice as long as there's not a real commitment, not a real loyalty, as long as they don't have to have a major life change or it doesn't affect their time or their finances or they don't have to start being a person who goes to church a lot and reads the Bible a lot. They're they're willing, you see. But there there are some of those people that if you're going to require a life change, you know, I'm willing to come to church, but don't make me give up my bitterness. Don't make me start tithing. Don't make me start... Uh, having to come to church more than one time a week and, and, and all the other things that go on. They're willing, but as soon as you say, hey, there's some areas in your life you need to change. There's some areas in your life that you need to line your life up with the Word of God to have the success, to have the prosperity, to have the blessings of the working of God in your life that aren't happening now. And they're unwilling. And Jesus said it's, they hit the thin soil, they have no root in themselves because of the Word itself or because of tribulation. They shrivel up and they they die bearing no fruit. Unlike the church in Thessalonica, Paul says, I have, have great confidence in you. Why? Because you're already, although they're only three weeks in the Lord, they're already sharing in the persecutions and the sufferings that Paul was going through. That was one of the things among the thin soil because of the word or because of the persecution of the word. But yet the Thessalonica church, even though they were only three weeks in the Lord, they got persecuted for their faith. They still stood in their faith. There in the church in Philippians, the same thing. Paul says... I'm confident that the very thing, that he who began this good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. So, Paul is confident, he says, that you're going to stand firm right into the very end. He began that good work in you. He is going to complete it. Why is it right for me to think this? Because I've seen you go through the same thing, imprisonment and the chains and the persecutions that I have also gone through. Then the word also falls. And it's a good soil, but the weeds come up and begin to choke it out. And this is the cares of this life, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of riches. And there's some people that, that come to Christ, but they always still have that itch to get rich. They still have that desire for other things. And I, I've seen brothers who, who want to get married more than they want God. And you tell them, you're going, hey, you know what? Wait on the Lord. Trust in Him. Grow in Christ. Put your eyes upon Him. And, and then the next thing you know, here they are arm in arm with this non-Christian girl. And he say, "Hey, brother, you're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But, but she'll, she'll get saved. Don't don't worry about it. You know she's willing to go to church. She said she believes in God. And it's like they would rather try, they would rather try their relationship with God, even though He knows His Word clearly says not to be unequally yoked. But yet their desire for these other things are greater than their desire for God, and that relationship goes sour." And they're back in church by themselves, broken and humble and hurting, and man, I want the Lord, and 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 you wonder, you wonder how long they're going to be around. And a month later, they're gone again, you know, and you see them down at the fair, down at the grocery store, there they are, trying to, with some other person, and or you hear they're living with somebody now or something, and and it just grieves you because you know that they, they they want God. They know they're a sinner. They want eternal life. But yet this desire is just so deep. This desire for a relationship or the desire for money or the desire for success in business or this desire for whatever it is. It's just so much greater than their desire for God. And you don't have the confidence. You can't write them a letter saying, I'm confident that he who began that good work in you is going to complete it. Although you know God's going to be faithful, even though they're not faithful. You know the Lord, like the prodigal son's dad, he's out there waiting for them to come back from their latest pig pen. He loves them. He's for them. His mercies are new every morning. But you wonder if they're ever going to come back. And I'll tell you, if we had a testimonial time tonight, which we won't, there'd be a lot of people that would give their testimony going, oh, well, you know, let me tell you how true that is, Brian, and... You know, I tried to get my fame and fortune. I tried to, you know, ran off with this relationship, did this. And their life is tattered and torn. And you're just not confident. And then there's those others that it falls upon the good soil. And they're growing some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some a hundredfold, and. And so some, you know, were bearing 60-fold amongst us. And maybe they went through a downtime and, and they're only bearing 30-fold. But they're always still growing in the Lord. They're always still moving forward in the Lord. And, and you know, you, you, you get a Christmas card from them, you know. And you just you know they're doing good in the Lord. You know they're growing in the Lord. You, you sort of wonder, what's God doing through them? how's the fruit being born? And you you want to talk to them. You get the Christmas card and you you call them up. How are you doing? What's going on? What's God? And you know they're in the word. You know they're growing in the Lord. There's no doubt in, in your mind whatsoever. You're confident that they're going to continue and grow and continue to grow in the Lord. Paul had not been to Rome But he heard of their faith that was being spread throughout the whole world. And he was confident that they were always going to be growing in the Lord. However, there were some issues that weren't correct in the church. And he straightened them out as we've studied through the book of Romans. But he says, I'm confident, my brethren. So I'm not talking, although I've not seen you face to face. I know we're close to each other. We're near each other. There's a fellowship that we have with one another. That you are full of goodness. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit lives in you. When the Holy Spirit's in you, the love of God is shed abroad. And the love, the fruit of love is is joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And self-control. And and there's some times that brothers are bitter towards one another for whatever reason. And you go to the brother and you try to talk to him. And and he's angry and prideful and he's... and you just sort of grin because you know God's going to just smash him. God spanks every son whom he loves. And it's only a matter of time until he comes back with this tail between his legs and saying, oh man, I'm so full of pride and I'm so wicked. And, you know, I can't believe I said that. That's not really the way I feel. I know God wants me to. You know that God's in their life and God's going to break them. And you're confident. That all goodness is in them, although the devil's winning a battle and their flesh is overcome by this situation. But you go to the other brother and you say, Hey, you know what? He's he's really bitter. He's really upset with you. And and the the Bible says a brother offended is like a trying to get through a walled city, which is basically impossible in those times. Today you just pull a tank up and one one blow and no problem. But back before tanks. So a walled city was almost impossible to penetrate. And so to go to him, well, you know, it's really his fault. He's really the one who did it. He's really the one. You, so what? Go to him anyway. You repent of what you've done wrong. Come up with something. As he goes, he says, hey, I'm so sorry. And you know, it was my fault. I did do this. And and then you see the other brother just break and melt and no, no, it was my. Why? Why did that happen? Because they're all goodness is in them, but yet when I go to non-believer, I, I that goodness is not there. The Holy Spirit's not in them. The love of God is not shed abroad. And 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 you try to talk to him, and they start swearing, and you know, like to get him in a back alley and take it out on him, and love, you know, and and and, and then finally the, the the guy comes and repents. I'm sorry, and this and that. Yeah, you should be. You know, you're a blankety-blank, blank, blank, blank. blank, And if I were 10 years younger, I'd take you out. And yeah, I know it's your fault. I'm glad you admit it. Now get off my property. There's not that goodness in them. And so Paul has dealt with certain issues. Some of them are heavy. Some of them are hard. Some of them are going to have to cause them to have a complete life change. Their life for a time is just gonna be like a volcano. It's just everything is up earth and everything is oozy and flowing. Everything's in flux. And and I'll tell you, I've experienced that in my Christian walk over the, the years. And I think, man, okay, I'm there now. I just need to keep growing. And in the Lord, I've, I've, you know, I'm on a solid ground now. I just need to keep growing where I'm at. But I'll tell you what, I'll grow to a plateau and all of a sudden, man, everything just goes to liquid again. And I'm going, Lord, am I even saved? God, I, you know, I'm I'm seeing you in a new way. And I, I, I'm just seeing my own depravity in a new way. And I'm, and man, I'm just, Lord, help me. And I just, I've seen God in a new way. And like Isaiah, I feel undone all over again. I'm an unclean man. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. I just am all undone all over again. But there's that confidence, that confidence. His goodness in it is in them and that they're full of it and God's going to break them. God's going to continue to bend them. God's going to continue to spank them if needs to. God's going to work in them. And, and you know, 10 years from now, they're going to be different. And then they're also filled with all knowledge. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in them. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, I really have no need to tell you anything. Why? Because the anointing which brought you unto salvation will continue to teach you. Now, we need the word of God. We need one another. That's how we grow in the Lord within a lifetime quickly. However, if you had no Bible, if you had no church, God would continue to lead you in the knowledge of him. It would be very slow. It'd be very painful. There's a lot of weird teachings and doctrines that would come in that you wouldn't be able to sort through so easily. You say, how do you know that? We've seen it behind the iron curtain. We saw it behind the bamboo curtain. We see the churches there where they had one little page of the Bible. That's all they ever had. And and then after 10 years, they found somebody else who had another page, and they swap pages, you know, and they would memorize it and swap pages again. But they had very little of the Bible. And so when you talk to them, they had a lot of weird doctrines. They had a lot of weird ideas. They had a lot of weird teachings. Because they only had pages. And then when we gave them the whole book of Ephesians, you see, they're going, oh, wow, man, that's, I, I, look right here. This goes right against what I was thinking. Then they understood, and they could grow. But if push came to shove, the Lord is in you. And God is going to continue to guide you. Now, the whole point of Christianity is that we would grow and we continue to grow quickly. We would grow much in the Lord. And so after a person's been two or three years in the Lord, they're, they're a pillar in the house of God. They're strong in the Lord. Now they're already able to be able to teach others and to be Bible study teachers and ushers and Sunday school teachers. And they could even go out and start churches and be pastors and missionaries and, and that they would grow quickly in the Lord. And that's what we desire to see. They're full of knowledge. They're filled up with knowledge. And so again, if you read the prayers in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, that's, Paul continues to encourage, encourage them, grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Grow in the knowledge of God. We don't want to just grow in our heads. We want to grow in our hearts. We want to learn much of the things of God in heart. And so they're filled with goodness, they're filled with the knowledge, so they're going to be able to admonish one another. So what Paul is saying is, guys, I'm giving you the direction. I know some of these things are hard to take, but you're filled with all goodness, you're going to be able to receive it. I know that the Holy Spirit lives in you, and that spirit is going to testify with what I'm saying. And so as we're reading the Bible, our spirit testifies with what the Bible says. Sometimes I hear people talking and 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 uh, and they'll say something quite strange, you know. Um, when I'm at some of these pastors' meetings, and there's pastors from all different churches together, and and they'll say something just really different. And and I'll be able to pick up what that spirit is. Man, he's been studying some of that health and wealth gospel stuff. And and he, he's a Lutheran or something. I'm going, gee, that's not in their ballpark. But I'll I'll say to him, I say, so have you been reading? Some of Copeland's or Hagen's, or, yeah, yeah, have you read such and such a book? No, brother, and here's why. <laughs> it's, it's spurious stuff. It's not sound doctrine. The Bible wants us to stay in sound doctrine. It's not sound. Well, how did you know that? Because what you said was this, and this is what the Bible says. And let me tell you some other scriptures, and wow, lights come on. We need to grow in the word. We need to grow in the knowledge of God. And he's saying, I know the Holy Spirit lives in you, so you're full of knowledge, but yet as you hear what I'm saying, it's going to testify your spirit, and you're going to be able to admonish one another. So some of the church, no doubt, would get Paul's letter and go, I don't know who this Paul guy is. I've never met him, but let me tell you, I'm not going to listen to that. And another guy's going, hold on, hold on, let's Let's think about what he's saying here. Let's not just throw it out yet. And, and so they would work together with the book of Romans here, and, and they would be able to grow. So Paul's saying, I know this is heavy for some, meaty for some. For some of you, it's right in line where God's taking you. Some are going to want to reject it, but there's others of you. I know you're going to be able to encourage each other, admonish one another, and, and grow to this place in Christianity as you read the book of Romans. And in verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren... Again, my dear, dear brothers, I have written more boldly to you on some points. There's some times I'm preparing my message, and I'm thinking, geez, this is really nothing great. It's really nothing that anybody's going to write home about, but I know it's what the Lord's given me. But yet, then when I get in the pulpit and I begin to preach it, I'm like, I mean, the hair on my own neck is standing up. And there's some times I just want to say, whoa, guys, you know, you know what? Um, it really was the Lord. Honest. <laughs> it wasn't me. It, I know it was me. But I, know, I always know there's a percentage of people that are going to go, uh, I, don't, I don't know. That was a little much. That was a little direct. That was a little harsh. That was a little explicit. Talking about whatever. I had a dear sister, and, and she was right that she had uh, written a letter basically saying that, you know, you, when you talk on homosexuality, you talk so graphically on it, it really grosses me out. And I let her know, I said, you know, it grosses me out too. I, you know, 30 years ago, you say homosexuality, people go, ew, gross, that's a sin. Today, you've got to convince them, even in the church. And you've got to present it in a way that it sort of shocks them, going, gross. Right, yeah, it's sin, it's gross, right, now you got it. Okay, now I can talk about it. You used to be able to say fornication, sin, oh yeah, of course. Adultery, sin, of course. Living together, sin, of course. But now you've you got to convince people of it, then you can talk about it. You've got to first convince them from the word. But a lot of times, the only way to convince people of homosexuality is wrong anymore is talking about bestiality. Right now, most people who are before homosexuality are still against bestiality. Not everyone, unfortunately, but, but I'm telling people that if you can accept homosexuality, it's only another decade until you'll accept bestiality. I don't understand why you're against him. He really loves his horse. <laughs> Dog is man's best friend, you know, and blah, blah, you know. And, and it's sick, as sick, as gross as it is. But I'm telling you, and if you've been around long enough, you know, 20 years ago, I'd talk about homosexuality, or I would talk about adultery, or living together, and people couldn't see it the sin, but then I would mention homosexuality, and they're going, oh, girl, ugh, Brian, oh, ugh. okay, well, now you can see adultery's wrong, too. It's the same. It's, it's sin. It's in God's eyes. But now you say homosexuality, well, you know, come on, you know, don't lighten up. It's not that big of a deal, I, you know. My hairstylist is a homosexual and does a great job, you know. Lighten up on me, you know. It's like, guys, it's despicable. It's, it's gross. It's physically kills the body, spiritually, emotionally. It's destructive. But yet, people can't see it. And so sometimes I just sense the Spirit of God come upon me and I just very boldly speak against certain things. And I know there's a percentage of people that are going to go, man, you know, that's just too much for me. I think homosexuality is probably not the best thing. I don't want to be one. I don't see how they get turned on each other. But, you know, I don't think Brian should have got on that big of a high horse over it. Just tell us about how much God loves us and let us go home. Just leave out homosexuality. You don't even need to talk about it. And But yet I know that it was the Lord. I remember... Oh. This has happened hundreds of times, but I remember one particular case where a dear sister had such a heart for this one gal she worked with who was involved in a church here in the area. But she decided to leave her husband and divorce him. Just wanted to be a carnal and end up shacking up with another guy. Just wanted to go back to the world for whatever reason. And she kept working on her and working on her and working on her, and finally she agreed to go to church with her and that particular Sunday morning, I was in Matthew nineteen on divorce, and she thought for sure you know that that she had called me the night before and said, "I finally got her to come to church, you know, pull out your divorce sermon, Brian <laughs> and of course, it had nothing to do with her that's just where I was at in the word but But yet as she was there, she was just, oh, hating it and cringing and just, ooh. And then right after I said amen, she was out the door. It's just God. It's just the Lord. He's her shepherd, even though at this point she's not following the Lord, evidently. God's saying, as soon as you you come back, you're going to, you need to repent. So it's not surprising to me. But yet Paul here, when he's looking back over the letter he wrote, He realizes to some weak Christians, to some new Christians, to some Gentile believers and some Jewish believers, some of the stuff they're reading is just going to blow them out of the water. If you're a Jewish Christian and you read chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans as we went through, (laughs) and you still think Gentiles need to be circumcised, I mean, Paul, just downright blows that whole concept out of the water heavy heavy interpretation about abraham and isaac and and jacob and you know jacob i love and esau i've hated even though they were both jews god rejected one of the jews and heavy message you see and looking back over it he he just wants to do what every pastor wants to do when he comes out of the pulpit and goes guys i hope you still like me Guys, I, I know I've been hitting this issue a lot lately, but it's, it's really the Lord, trust me. I, I know that I was really heavy on that point and I, I know it was a bit much, but it was really God, I'm telling you. If, it, if you were up here, you would have said this, it was God. And so he's coming back and he's saying, guys, I, I know it was heavy, but I know I spoke boldly and I know I've never met you before. And so here I am, a complete stranger, but brothers, I know it was heavy, but it was the Lord. There in Titus chapter 1 verse 13. You can turn there if you want. Paul has to encourage Titus. He says, Wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And also in Titus chapter 2 verse 15. He says, These things speak, exhort, Rebuke, with all authority. Let no one despise you, or better it be, the better translation is, don't feel despised even though. So rebuke them, exhort them. It's all a part of being a pastor. It's not just speaking the word of God, and and believe me, if it were up to me. I would come up and speak every Sunday on the grace of God, how much He loves us, how He died on us, He died for us, died on us, died for us. Amen. Let's go home. That's that's boy. If I had my choice, that's it. But yet, Paul in Acts 20 says, "I didn't cease to teach you the whole counsel of God." And it's a heavy thing to teach the whole counsel sometimes. And then also there in Second Timothy just right before that in 2 Timothy chapter 4 He says there in verse 2 preach the word be ready in season and out of season convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching so patiently or more enduringly, keep enduring and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction. Endure affliction from who? The people in the church who are not wanting to hear sound doctrine. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So again, a part of the pastor's job is not just to teach, but also to rebuke, also to exhort. And so there's there's just heavy issues sometimes that you have to address, that you have to go, and 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 people can listen and, and where they're at, they'll they'll hear it differently. One person will hear it one way, another person will hear it another way. I had a dear sister, her husband finally came to church a few weeks ago who's an alcoholic. And on that day, I was, happened to be talking about John the Baptist and how he would drink no wine. That was one of the things on his calling. And I, and I went over the issues of drinking and, and, and what the Bible says about how it's not for the wise men or for the princes or for the priest. And we happen to be all, called all of them. The church happens to be called all of those things. And Jesus says you're kings and priests. But according to the scriptures, kings and priests weren't to drink. Paul didn't drink. He had to tell Timothy to have a little bit of wine for his stomach and so forth. And, and I, one of the particular services, I spent quite a bit of time on that, more than the other services. I found out afterwards. Yep, the guys in alcohol, I was very gentle with it. And I, I, I ended it as I do most topics, saying, hey, be Bereans, go back, look at the scriptures, see what it really says. But yet, in this particular case, it was, the guy received it just fine. And, and the point was is that John, if he did drink, he could never be the forerunner before the Christ. He could never be the one that would be able to lead the people to Jesus the way he was to lead people to Jesus if he ever drank wine. And I said, some of you dads here tonight, you can't, you can't direct your kids to Jesus. You can't direct your wife to Jesus. Why? Because of the wine. And God is telling you that if the wine goes, you'll be able to direct them to Jesus in a way you haven't been able to. And that's the way I, I, I meant, meant it. And that's the way he received it very wonderfully. But there's that convincing. I had to convince. I had to go through and say, hey, let's, you know, I already know what I think about alcohol. Don't even bother going there. But yet as I began to convince from this, all of a sudden their minds completely changed on the subject. Or to rebuke. To say, hey, that's sin. I don't care what you call it. It's sin. Here's why it's sin. Here's the scriptures. Don't be deceived. It's sin. And there just needs to become a rebuke. So if you're doing this right now, stop it. It's sin. And you're only heading down a road where God's going to chastise you or you're going to end up and run because of it. And there's sometimes that people are unwise. They don't listen to it. The proverb says, the wise man hears and increases in wisdom. The foolish man doesn't hear and he... Goes to his own hurt. So there's some people that are wise, some people that are foolish, some people that can be rebuked. The foolish man won't be rebuked. The wise man will be rebuked. So, but again, even for the wise man, sometimes that sword can go deeper than he is comfortable with. It can be a sharper blade than he. Again, it's a ministry of the church. It's a ministry of the pastor. It's a ministry of the elders. Don't like it, but must do it. And so without fail, almost every single week I'll have one of the elders come to me and say, I heard somebody saying this, and they would tell me the doctrine, and I'll say, What did you think? Well, it didn't sit right with me. I here's what I've always thought. I never really thought much about it, but here's what I thought the scripture said. That's absolutely right. Here's another scripture. Go now and talk to that person. Oh you know, and there they don't eat, and they can't sleep, and you know, they're all bummed out and you know they got butterflies in their subjects in their stomach and finally the home fellowship night finally comes and they're weak because they haven't been able to eat they haven't been able to sleep and they're all I need to talk to you about something what 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 I need to talk to you and and sometimes it's an easy rebuke sometimes it's hard but it goes with the job description it's all apart so we as Christians need to receive rebuke to be teachable and then also we have to give it. And Paul is here saying, guys, I, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have been as bold as I was. I know some of the points were very heavy, um, but I'm not going to go back and erase any of it. It is what the Lord is saying. And then he also says in verse 15, as reminding you, so some of the truths are stuff that you've already heard from others that you already knew. They weren't new truths. As reminding you because of the grace given to me by you. So other things I was just repeating it reminding you guys that's also a big part of leadership is reminding me is reminding me boy i'm having a hard time tonight is reminding you if you're a parent you know how apparent that is being a parent having to say things over and over again the same old thing every day shut the light off when you leave the room did you get all your books as you're going to school? Did Don't forget your lunch. Did you make your bed? Did you hang up your clothes? Did you brush your teeth before you went to bed? On and on and on. You do it day after day after day. Some of the kids finally catch on. They're going, don't, don't even say it. Okay, you already did it. Fine. Most of my kids got the brushing the teeth thing down. But my one son Charles never can remember. So as he's getting into bed, now I just look at him going, you know, did you? You know, putting my hands up. He's going, oh. He'll climb down the ladder, you know. Go brush his teeth. Out of all my kids, he's the only one that's ever had a cavity. No one, None of the rest of them ever had cavities. And so, again, there's those things. In the church too, we constantly say the same thing. And, and some of us, you know, it, here's one thing that always amazes me. We'll be on a certain theme all year. It seems it seems like God takes us through seasons. And then we'll go to the men's retreat, and there I'll have a guest speaker come to the men's retreat, and, and he'll be saying, and, and word for word sometimes what I've been saying, and people go, man, that's the most awesome thing. I've never thought of that before. <laughs> I mean, that insight, really, what was it? Oh, man, let me tell you about it. And it it's like, why did I even bother preaching all year, you know? <laughs> but again, it's just, I know that there's just some times we've got to hear them over and over and over over again. Notice over in Second Peter, if you would. There in chapter 1, in verse 12 and 13, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Sound like a parent? Though you know them and are established in the present truth. So you know it and you're doing it. But if I remind you, you'll keep on doing it. Yes, I think it's right. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord is going, I'm going to be dying. But more careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, after I depart. So Peter says, guys, I'm going to say it again. Bear with me because I, I just feel in the Lord that I need to remind you one more time. Say it again. Also in Second Peter chapter 3. There in verse one, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir you your pure minds up by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, and he goes on. And so a job of a leader, a job of a pastor is also to remind of the same truths. Just at a pastor's conference and Chuck got up and he, he gave a, a sermon, and I, I could just hear it. Every pastor in there could have got up and word for word said that sermon. We've heard Chuck say it so many times out of the book of Acts. Well, the Bible says, First Jerusalem, now Costa Mesa was my Jerusalem. But then when Greg Laurie went over to Riverside, that became my Judea. But that became his Jerusalem. And he he got almost word for word. And there's he spoke a couple other times. And we're just like going, how many times has he said this in the pastor's conferences? But yet we just sat there and soak it up and listen to it again. But it's Entrenched it's entrenched in our minds it's entrenched in our hearts and those things that he said over and over again are instilled within us not just in our minds but in our very fabric of our ministry so after he dies we're going to be able to hear his voice it's practically we're going to almost be able to see him saying it over and over again like we can see our parents you know And you're running around the pool at 30 years old. And you slip and you fall and you bang your head. And there all of a sudden, your mom's right there, you know. 20 years ago. I told you not to run around the pool. It's slippery. Don't run around. It's like, ah. Well, that's the way it is sometimes at church too. You come and you hear the things that you already know. That's Okay god knows you need to hear him again and so we want to be careful not to say well i already know that i have already heard that boy something's wrong with our heart if we're hardened you see our hearts are becoming hardened our heart should always be soft because even though it's the same thing we can hear it in a deeper and in a fuller way in a deeper and in a fuller way and so that's where we want to remain and so paul's saying i know some of the things i said brothers was heavy it was bold." I know some of the things I said are things that you have heard time and time again. And, and, but he, gets, he says here, but it's the grace that has been given to me that I can do that. It's the grace of God that I, I can do that. Who I am, God's calling upon my life, enables me, gives me the right to say it, so hear it. Even though it may be heavier than what you want to hear, you need to hear it. You need to have that heart of submission. You need to have that heart of willingness to say, well, I don't like it. I don't think he's right in saying it, but okay. Sunday morning I talked on submission and and I qualified what I was talking on by saying, guys, I'm not trying to get into the specifics. I'm trying to show the heart of Christ in submission. He was not need he didn't need to submit. He didn't need to learn. He didn't need to grow. He was God in human flesh. He already knew. But yet he still submitted. All the way until he was thirty years old, and then we looked there at that second Peter passage where he submitted, and because he submitted even unto death, we got salvation. Likewise, you, why? So afterwards, people came up and said, "But hold it, I got a circumstance." You know, it, there's a thousand different circumstances. There really is when you look at that area of submission. There's a lot on the Bible on submission. I mean, there's times you don't submit to the government because they're asking you to do things that God wouldn't want you to do. I had one dear sister come up and and she said, my husband wants me to do, th- it was immoral, it was gross. And I said, well, you, you obey God rather than man. Is your husband claim to be a Christian? Yeah, well, go home and rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. That's, that's sin, it's sick, it's wrong. So, but there's a lot in the Bible on submission. I have one particular brother who works with the abortion alternative ministry and and fighting against abortion, and and he came up, but hold it. You know, we're fighting against the government. Yeah, go for it. Keep going. I I did not say not to do that. But what you said on submission, well, did you hear me say this? No. Did you hear me? No, I didn't hear that. Okay. Get the tape and go back and listen to it. Again, you heard parts, but you didn't hear all. It was a bold message. It was a heavy message. It was an extreme message. But yet, as the pastor, it gives me the right to say, here, look at it in a way you've not seen it before. And it sort of shocks us all to say, let's go back to the scriptures and look at it again. And maybe God would cause us to break out of the mold. A lot of times we can be there. We think, man, I've got it down. You know, this mold. I had a... Brother, come up the last high school camp. I challenged the kids to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. Go for it. And this youth pastor comes up and says, look, I've worked with youth for years, you know, and I know that you can get them to read a few verses a day, and if you push it any more than that, they feel all condemned like they can't keep up. And I said, look, I challenged them. I gave them a goal. I didn't say do it or you're not right with God. I said, shoot for it. And I even said, if you don't make it, that's fine, but at least you shot for it. And I got a call a few months later, and he goes, you have no idea. A lot of the kids did it. A lot of the other kids found out the other kids were doing it, so they started doing it. It's totally revolutionized our youth group. They're all wanting to hear Bible studies instead of going roller skating. They want to, They'd rather have a Bible study. It's just, they're excited about the Word. So again, I think sometimes when we hear things that seem a little much, a little extreme, that's a part of the work of the ministry. Let's let's not throw it out. That gives me the right. Paul says, God's given me the grace. He's given me that calling. In the same way as a pastor, I have the grace to be here tonight. There's many of you that could preach better than me. There's many of you you could be a pastor better than me. Why am I here? Because that's God's choosing. Period. I know that if I died tomorrow, this church would soar. It would do better than it ever did. There's no doubt in my mind. That it's all of you and God putting up with me. It's by God's grace I'm here. I, I know it's not me. I know it's God. But nevertheless, I'm here. God hasn't taken me out. And so, therefore, we trust. We don't sit there going, oh, I can't believe John played that song. We just say, hey, you just trust that he's playing the song the Lord's leading him to play. In the same way, we trust, well, that was a little much. Those were some other verses Brian didn't share on that topic. Yeah, well, we trust that The point that God wanted to make was made, even though it may be heavy. Even though it may be the same thing I've heard over and over again. Yet, let's receive it as if God were speaking it to us. Let's go to the scriptures. And then if we say he's off or he's out of balance, then we can talk to him. And that's the kind of ministry we have. We're not members on a piece of paper. We're not members because we can vote. We are members of the Word of God. And sometimes when people hear the way our church runs, they're going, you guys don't vote to see if you're going to be the pastor every four years? No? Well, how do you know they want you? They leave. Well, what if... if, what if you started teaching heresy? I said, because we teach verse by verse through the whole word, they know. They would know it. And I would have every, just about everybody in my face saying, Brian, you're a heretic. <laughs> they know the word as well as I do. That's, that's the point. When you teach through the word of God, I can't go too far to the right or too far to the left. So I had the brother come up and go, hey, Brian, I'm, I'm really sorry to point this out, but I, I think that your message Sunday was a little bit off. Here's why. And I'm like, you know, I really appreciate you talking to me. I have no problem whatsoever. I'm, is like anybody else, could be off. But did you hear this? Did, no, I didn't. Okay, go back, listen to the tape, and let's talk again. And so, again, I think the, the point is, is that we have that fellowship where I'm not just the pastor. I'm your brother in Christ. You're not just the home fellowship leader, he's your brother in Christ. Not just the woman's leader, she's your sister in Christ. And so we have that availability and that workability to say, hey, we're, we're here, let's talk. I'm here after every service and I'll stay here after every service until everybody has talked to me that wants to talk to me. I, I have no problem talking and praying with every single one of you if you, if you want to stay till four in the morning. I'll, I'll do it. We, we we need to be available for one another as much as we can. But again, God's given to the church, not just me, but other elders. And so a lot of times, you're better off talking to the other elders. I've got a group of pastors that I've trained to do counseling. And so again, uh, Jethro told Moses, it's not good that you try to counsel everybody. Break it up and let these other guys, they have wisdom, the Holy Spirit's in them, they can do it. And it's true. God, it's better for one guy that has energy to counsel, then one guy who's exhausted after the 10th counseling appointment to try to counsel everybody. A brother in the Lord can anoint you with oil as well as I can to pray for you to be held. It's just the prayer of faith. It's not the prayer of the pastor. And so again, we want the body to minister to the body. But nevertheless, God has given me a position and grace to say certain things that may be heavy, but yet needful. And Paul is saying God's given that grace. So, again, it's your position. You know, sometimes one of my kids will say to the other kid, get back in this house right now. You're not supposed to be out there with your socks on. You've got to get your shoes on first. And I'll say, what did you just say? Well, Dad, you know, you know but you're not the Dad. God's given me grace as the dad to say that. You say that, it's fighting words. They're just going to come in, you guys are going to start fighting. (laughs) I say that, it's instruction. (laughs) Because of my position. So in the same way, if a brother in the Lord try to say, hey, you need to submit, it may not come across as well. But yet you hear it in a sermon and it's being taught through the word, and they know it's not isolating you and saying, you unsubmissive, wretch you, what's your problem? But it's more of just we're teaching through the word, and here comes that topic, and whoa, I get nailed. Then then they can receive it because of the grace of God that was given for that particular ministry. Well, there's some awesome stuff going on down in verse 16, but we're going to have to end there tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we do rejoice, O God in the working of your Holy Spirit through the Word. and We thank you tonight as we're learning the Word of God, that we can learn how you have filled us with all goodness, filled us with all knowledge, that we can admonish one another. But yet, Lord, that you would give us grace, that love would cover the multitude of sins, that love would cover the multitude of brashness or harshness or wrong words said, whether from the pulpit or from one another that all goodness and knowledge would cause us to continue to love and to bear with one another in truth. And also, Lord, we just ask tonight that you would strengthen us, Lord, with your grace and cause this fear of our grace to even grow. Lord, as you've blessed me here with these few hundred people here tonight, and you'd cause that to grow, Lord. And we thank you that this Sermon will go out on the radio all across America. And we thank you for all those thousands of people who will hear this message. But Lord, we just know you're doing such a unique work here in the midst of us. Cause it to grow. And Lord, we see so many dear brothers who are home fellowship leaders. As they're raising up other home fellowship leaders, cause their ministry to grow, to cause a new home fellowship to start. And those parents who are doing such a good job with their kids, that you would cause their example as parents. And as they talk to their kids, that their example would grow. Their sphere of influence would grow to affect other parents and other kids. And and that they would raise up this next generation because of their example as a parent. And on and on it goes. Bless us, Lord. As you've given us grace, give us more grace. That we could minister to our kids and to other families and to other communities until... Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, our faith, like the Romans' faith, would be heard throughout the whole world. Lord, we ask your kingdom to come, your will to be done. On earth, O oh God, as it is in heaven, be blessed, be glorified as we have come here tonight in your name. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. Bye-bye.